Welcome in, my friend. I would like to thank you for studying along with us through the book of Job. I trust that you've been blessed in following along with us. We have made our way through the conclusion of chapter 8, and we're going to be diving into chapters 9 and 10 in our next session. But I wanted to just take a moment before we dive into that to share something with you, which, as you are reading ahead into the next couple of chapters, in this book, I think may give you some insight into what really makes this book so meaningful. And I'll start it off with a question. Have you ever wondered why is the book of Job in our Bible? You see, there is a discovery about the Bible which, once you uncover it for yourself, it should ignite a passion within you for God's Word and for digging into his word as a lifelong endeavor. And it starts with this principal recognition. If you have your Bible before you in your lap, then you hold in your hands 66 books that we call the Bible. And even though those books are penned by over 40 different people who never even knew each other, didn't all speak the same language, and wrote their writings over a period of virtually 2,000 years, you will find that they compose an intricate, skillfully designed, integrated message system. And I don't simply mean that the themes of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New. No, much more than that. It's my conviction that every number, every name, every location, every place name, every detail in the original text is there by deliberate design. And once you discover that for yourself, that leads to the second discovery, and that is that this design had to have its origin from outside of our space-time, that is, outside of our time domain. And when you discover the integrity of its design, you'll discover that it had to have its origin from outside of our dimensionality of time altogether one integrated design. As St. Augustine put it, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Now why am I mentioning this? Well, if we do have one integrated message system, then the most obvious question to ask is, okay, so what is the message about? And there are a few passages in the New Testament that shed some great light on that. We find in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus saying, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. Jesus said the scriptures testify about him. And again in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, and that's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem. And they have a seven-mile Bible study. For seven miles, he exegetes the scriptures to them, explaining how they were talking about him. And people who say that Jesus never taught by an expository method, that is absolutely not true. Yes, he did, and there's an example of it right there. 
And then later in that same chapter of Luke, we find in verses 44 through 45, uh, 45 through 48, excuse me, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, and they could see that the things he had done were in fulfillment of those scriptures. And once more in Luke volume 2, that is in the book of Acts, we find in chapter 17, verse 11, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bereans examined the scriptures daily to test what Paul was saying to them and to see if what Paul was telling them about Messiah was true. So what's the point of all this? Well, the point is, what scriptures are all of these passages talking about? It certainly is not the New Testament where we're reading these examples because they hadn't been written yet. They were written later as a record of what had taken place. So we recognize that scriptures here, and in most of the New Testament for that matter, refers to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is what Paul used to preach the gospel. The Old Testament is what Jesus taught his disciples from. The Old Testament gives testimony about Jesus. Well, that means that the whole Bible, the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's all about Jesus Christ. He is pictured and alluded to and he makes pre-incarnate appearances all through the Old Testament. The Bible is about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. And when I first discovered that, it ignited a passion for the Word, a desire to study the Bible. I find it thrilling to look for Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. And I'm convinced that he is somewhere to be found on every single page. That doesn't mean that I can find him there, but my purpose is only to encourage you to study the scriptures for yourself. Be like the Bereans. And you'll find that there's a lot more red letters than you thought. All of the scriptures are intended to drive us to Jesus. So the reason that the book of Job is in our Bible is to point us to Jesus. And someone may say, so where do you find Jesus in the book of Job? Well, we're coming to one of the main sections where I believe the Messiah is foreshadowed in Job. And as you do your preparation for our next session, I wanted to share just a few of these with you. You see, many people have Job's problem. It's a problem that he's going to start articulating in the next few chapters. First of all, God is spirit and he is invisible. And our human sin separates us from God. We cannot redeem ourselves before God, and we need a mediator. Well, I want to share with you some good news. The good news is that Jesus came to this earth as God incarnate, God in the flesh, and he was visible. Paul said to the church in Colossae, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
And he also wrote to Timothy and said, By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh. And that's the first part of 1 Timothy 3.16. And the Apostle John said to us all, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. And in our next session, we're going to find Job saying in chapter 9, verse 2, Job says, In truth, I know that this is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? Well, the good news is today that we have a Redeemer. Christ redeemed sinners when they hung him on the cross, and he is able to make you right before God. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And in that same letter to the Galatians, he says later on, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And to Titus, Paul writes in Titus chapter 2, looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now Job had another problem, and he expresses it in verses 32 through 35 of chapter 9. He says, For he, referring to God there, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us, who may lay his hand upon us both. Let him remove his rod from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I am not like that in myself. You see, Job needed a mediator between himself and God. And we need that too. We need a mediator to intercede for us. And your friend is not a sufficient intercessor. Your friend can't be the mediator before God because your friend, he or she, also has sin which separates them from God. We need somebody who can take hold of us and take hold of God at the same time. We need a mediator who can actually lead us into the presence of God. And the good news is that we today do have a mediator between us and God. The writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 8, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. And again in chapter 9, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator 
of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And also in chapter 12, verse 24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And of course, Paul wrote to Timothy and said in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He died upon a cross so that the punishment for your sins would be paid, my friend. He redeemed you because he paid the price. And he conquered death by rising again to be your mediator before Almighty God. The writer to the Hebrews also said the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is alive today, and you can ask him for forgiveness. You can ask him to be your intercessor before God. Now, as you're going through Job and through the rest of the scriptures, what I encourage you to do is to seek Christ. Examine the scriptures daily in search of him and in his guidance. If you come to a hard passage that you don't understand, put Jesus in the middle of it and see what God reveals to you. Study your Bible and begin searching the scriptures for the one and only Redeemer of man and the only mediator between man and God, Jesus, who is called Christ. And we're going to be in Job chapters 9 and 10 next time. So until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. See you later. Life is a test, many quests to universe. And through my research, I felt the joy.